When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast is proudly sponsored by The Terrace, the home of retro and fan culture sports merchandise. Check out their range of forest merch by visiting theterrastore.com or visit them on social media. Hello there, and welcome to the podcast. Happy New Year, if we're still saying that. This is 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast, and I'm Rich Ferraro. We are joined today by our good friends, Tom Newton. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, good, thank you. Hello to Baz. Good evening. And hello to Mr. Stephen Topless. Hello. And just want to say to you, listener, thank you very much for joining us. If you didn't know, you can get our podcast via the usual places, notably Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. But now we're also on YouTube and on TikTok. So if you want to find us there, you're very welcome to do so. And of course, we're already on Facebook, Instagram and our main channel on Twitter. Now, before we get started, we do want to start off by saying a word about Colin Slater. Now, this is a Forest podcast and we are... Um, obviously focusing upon the Reds. But it's important to say, I think, that as a bunch of people uh, who grew up listening to Radio Nottingham, Colin Slate has been an important part of all of our lives, I think. Um, just to come to you, Tom, what are your memories of Colin Slater? Well, um, my granddad used to be a Notts County um, supporter. Um, so he he had memories of him, and I think he um, knew him uh, through like um, going to county matches as well. So, but listening to him on the radio come back from Forest, you just have one of those like really recognisable voices. And yeah, he was just colossus in the um, in local sport media. He was like you knew you. He was like one of those uh, commentators. You know, you're in safe hands when he's uh, obviously commentating or um, doing a match report or. Uh, whatever so uh, yeah it was a really um, sad loss uh, for the uh, all the Notts County fans and uh, the wider footballing community. Um, yeah it's, it's that voice isn't it it's just you just know that it's um, you're on the way back from the get from the game when you hear his voice come on and, and to get the Notts report um, and obviously he's not been on the radio for a little while but it's it's a big loss. Yeah, and I have to say, Stephen, yesterday when I was uh, had the radio on, I wasn't able to make it to Millwall, but I was listening on the radio and they started off with a tribute to Colin Slater. I have to say, it it, it really um, was quite emotional to listen to because you think about the part that he played in the lives of so many people in Nottingham, not just in terms of his voice and his presence, but obviously he was a big man in the community as well. Um, I always particularly liked it when they did the matches where it's Forest versus County, so they'd take it in turns to do half the commentary each. And uh, one of the things I always remember is uh, back in the 90s, um, my dad saying his favourite bit of commentary he's ever heard was Colin Slater going, oh, and the Forest fans are excited, they're shouting, Behenan, Behenan. <laughs> he had such a rich voice, didn't he, and a very distinctive voice. It's it, just listening to him, even if it, 
even if he was the Notts County commentator, I used to just love listening to his voice and listening to his reports on Radio Nottingham and also on the match talk phone-ins, he would also contribute there as well and be a big part of that. So if you've grown up in Nottingham and listened to Radio Nottingham at some point, you will have heard Colin Slater. And for us as football fans, we, we've we probably listened to him every week for, for years on end. And it's a sad loss to the football community, to, to the broadcasting community, and of course to Notts County, where he did so much not just as a commentator and a reporter, but also in in keeping the club alive in the 60s and in the 80s as well. And yeah, he he will be sadly missed. And just as well with Forrest, he commentated on the European Cup finals and the incredible journey that that team went on. So I think that's a real measure of the quality of commentator and, and just how good he was at his job, that he was handed games of that prestige and to have commentated on knots for, for 49 years. That's a remarkable achievement. I saw I saw something the other day, uh, on, I think it was a, one of the Notts County supporters saying that Charlie Slater, he would have to commentate until 2066 to match Colin Slater's run as Notts commentator, which just shows you the the longevity and the, and the incredible contribution that he's made to Notts County over the years. He'll, he'll be sadly missed. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, of course, to those of you who do listen to Reggie Nottingham, um, now this is for people who may be a few years older than I am, um, but it is wonderful to hear those little snippets of commentary from when Colin was doing the European Cup matches. Um, so it's a sad loss. And one of the you know, one of the one things I will say, I didn't know him, but the people who I've met who, who did meet him, I've never heard a single person have a bad word to say about the man. So so rest in peace, Colin Slater, and thank you for everything that you did for Nottingham and for Nottingham football. Let's move on and let's talk about Forest because that's what we're here to do. Now, obviously, since we last spoke in this big podcast format, we had a couple of defeats. We knew that the defeats would come eventually and... We saw Forrest deservedly lose to Middlesbrough, followed by a really odd match against Huddersfield, where basically Huddersfield scoring first, and it's one of those ones where no matter what we did, we weren't going to get a goal. Um, Baz, to come to you on this one, uh, as people like you and I and many other fans have said so often, you know that it's going to come eventually. You know you're not going to win every match or go unbeaten for the rest of the season. But um, how much of a shock was it when we had those two defeats in a row? Um, it was a bit of a shock. It sort of, to, to some extent, both of them came out of nowhere, and to have them back to back as well was was kind of um, it was it was kind of annoying. It was like, well, yeah, we've we've, we've had the um, the thing with Middlesbrough. Let's turn it around and, and get back on the horse, as it were. But then, no, it just it just wasn't going to happen against Huddersfield. Um, so that was kind of annoying. But I always think, and I don't know, I'm not sure if this is backed up by statistics or not, but I always have it in my mind that we always struggle over Christmas and New Year, um, or at least over winter in general. And then we pick up again when the, when the weather starts to turn. So hopefully we're going to, that's our period of struggle over. And now it's going to be um, all gravy all the way. Mm, Tom, I think Baz touched upon something really important there. It wasn't so much the fact that we lost it's the fact that we lost two in a row wasn't it yeah and you just don't know what um situation Forest were in at the time because we knew obviously um with the Barnsley game that was postponed um due to Covid reasons and you don't know what the situation was like in the um the weeks leading up over Christmas and this that and the other so there might have the disruption might have been quite hard to take, but Forest tried to battle through. And ultimately, um, as soon as it got to the Barnsley game, we knew that we would have to uh, call it off. But it, it was going to come sooner rather than later. And, to, and I don't mean that as a negative, but in this league, it's just like everybody's capable of beating each other. And it's just like we had two matches back to back and um, Middlesbrough game, we was relatively poor and the players knew that, Steve Cooper knew that, and then um, against Huddersfield, I wouldn't say we was poor, but just one of those nights where we had all the ball and had all the chances, but ultimately we didn't put the ball in the back of the net and they come away with a 1-0 win. Um, so it just happens in the Championship, it's like the most unpredictable league in the world, isn't it? So it's, it's just one of those, but hopefully with um, 
got rid of our blip now and like uh, Baz has said, hopefully we can um, crack on and uh, see what happens in the coming months of the season. Yeah, and to come to you, Stephen, we'll we'll talk about Arsenal and Millwall in, in, in just a sec. But um, firstly, well, the fact that Luton, who of course are a good team, let's let's not deny it, but they beat Bournemouth yesterday and that shows that, illustrates what Tom's saying, which is that it is a tight division and, and any team is capable of beating any other team. Um, however, with the issue of the Middlesbrough and then Huddersfield matches, I think we all agreed that Middlesbrough, we were second best. And, and that's the, probably the first time in a long time that we had been second best. Huddersfield, how frustrating was that, that we did play well, but we conceded that, that relatively weak goal. Huddersfield would say it's a good goal, but from our point of view, it wasn't really. And then we're constantly trying to play catch up with essentially a second string team, weren't we? Yeah, and I think that has been forgotten that we didn't have the options available to us to really change the game up. We didn't have a Keenan Davis available. We didn't have Steve Cook at the back giving us a bit that bit more solidity. And I think the Huddersfield game highlighted areas that we needed to improve when the January window opened. Even though we played pretty well on the nights, the performance was far better than Middlesbrough and perhaps on the balance of play we should have won the game. The I think it was it might have been a good result in that it highlighted areas that needed to be improved on and we've already made strides in the first two weeks of the January window to put that right. And I'm not saying that Steve Cooper or Dane Murphy didn't know that already, but sometimes it helps to just see that out on the pitch and see what options you have available to you or, in our case, what options we didn't have at that time. And Baz, just on that topic, I remember right back to when you and I started podcasting in Forest's first season back in the Championship. And of course, that first half season under Calderwood, we were coming away from so many matches going, well, we played well, but we didn't quite have that. We didn't quite get the look in terms of Nathan Tyson just poked the ball past the far post or um, Robbie Earnshaw, he couldn't quite get his shot in and that kind of thing. Um, the Huddersfield match reminded me a little bit about that, whereby they, they played well and they did a lot of the right things. But ultimately, that, that little bit of quality that you need to be a high-end championship team wasn't available on that day. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, I, I keep on harking back to the, the defeat by Fulham, which showed that there was a golfing quality, that we weren't quite there. But um, as Stephen says, those two games highlighted the three areas where we were weak. Um, so the Middlesbrough game highlighted that we were weak at fullback, at wingback or whatever, because we didn't have Jed Spence. And Finback did try, but he, he just wasn't at the same level. And we obviously with Max Lowe out as well. And then the um, Huddersfield game, it showed that that little bit of defensive solidity we effectively conceded a soft goal and we didn't get to finish the, the game. So those three positions, and those are the three positions that we've filled already in this transfer window so I think that yeah I'm, I'm sure the the team knew where that where that where they needed to strengthen but it highlighted it it put it in big marker pen saying these are the three areas that we need to get sorted out first and Tom we'll come on to the transfers in just a second but do you think that the Arsenal and Millwall matches have shown that actually those two matches just after Christmas were hopefully just a blip and actually the fact that Forest have this combination of game plan plus perseverance suggests that Forest can go on to be successful for the rest uh, of the season. Um, yeah, there were no disrespect to the fullbacks um, against Middlesbrough. They just weren't good enough and at the moment our game is heavily relied on the balance and the performance of our fullbacks. I mean, uh, Jack Colback's done a pretty decent job um, filling in for Max Lowe and Jed Spence, as we all know, has been a revelation this season. But I just think Finn back, it was just, I think he, he struggled um, in the game. And as soon as that first uh, goal went in, um, I think Forrest struggled because of how it happened and everything. And we never got going. Um, but since um, the new year, hopefully it is a blip. And those the last two games against Arsenal and Millwall um, showed that we are a good side. And if we can just add that bit more um, to our personnel, then I, I, I do see that um, 
Steve Keeper will have a very successful time here if he's given the tools to do the job. Yeah, and uh, Baz, you want to come back in there? I just wanted to say, I think probably when we look back on this season, I think Bristol City game is going to be re- remembered as probably one of the most important. That Those two goals in injury time showed that this team has a, a sense of fight that I've not really seen in a Forest team for a long time. We've been used to conceding late goals, not scoring them and then snatching the three points. And that's what Millwall showed as well. Yeah, and on that topic, uh, something that uh, uh, Mrs. Ferraro and I pr- frequently say when we're watching and listening to matches, and this has been borne out in recent games, such as, um, well, Huddersfield, we didn't get the reward, but against Arsenal and Millwall, they, j- they just don't give up, do they? And that's been seen in so many matches, so many late goals, and so many f- times when Forrest's perseverance and and I'm going to come to you in a second, Tom, but one of the things that you and Stephen were discussing yesterday was fitness and strength. And is usually you see Forest players flagging. In, you know, we're used to seeing that. Um, but this season, since Cooper's took over, they seem to have the extra energy and the extra strength to keep going, don't they? Yeah, and um, another key thing is that we're not pushovers anymore. I mean, in uh, previous seasons, we've gone down to Bristol and... We know it's going to be a battle there. We'll come out of the game two on winners. Yesterday, you know, it's always a battle, regardless of if, say, Millwall are struggling at the low end of the league or if at the top, it's still a battle um, at the new den. And we're not pushovers anymore. And I think that is massive in the championship. I mean, over previous seasons, we've like had a game where you think, I thought it was going to turn up today, but every single game this season, since well, since Steve Cooper's come in, we have actually turned up. And that's so refreshing as a footballer because you know you're going to get, they're going to actually try. Yeah, and I'd say even against Fulham and Middlesbrough, which are the two occasions under Cooper where we've noticeably been second best, you know, they still, both, both of those opponents came out knowing they'd had a game. Um, Stephen, I'm going to come to you. Uh, Ryan Yates did an interview, which was, I can't remember if it was just before or just after Christmas, but he was talking about uh, the mentality and and about how Forrest would go into certain games thinking, well, we're hoping to get a win out of this. And now they're going and going, we're going to get a win out of this. And actually, I think there's an argument to say that no player epitomises the transformation more than Ryan Yates because he was somebody, regardless of what you think about him, we know that he's still not everyone's cup of tea, but we knew that there was more that Ryan Yates could do. That's, that was one of the frustrations, wasn't it? He's not got the best ability in the world. He'll always try, but we knew there's more that we could squeeze out of him. And that has really been seen since Cooper's took over. So I think he really epitomises what you have described in the past as the Steve Cooper revolution. It's almost a parallel between how the team were performing at the start of the season and Ryan Yates perhaps in that team not being very effective. And then all of a sudden Steve Cooper comes in, the team has picked up massively and he's transformed Ryan Yates into a real key part of that side. And I I see a lot of parallels there in terms of the work he's done with the team and then individual players as well, who've, who've really kicked on under him. And Ryan Yates in the last couple of games has been so crucial, in fact, to, to the success we've had. The, The obvious one being the, the cross he put in, for Lewis grabbing against Arsenal. I mean, I didn't know he had a, a cross like that in his locker, to be honest. That was David Beckham's stuff. It was absolutely on point and brilliantly put into the box. And then against Millwall, he's passing the ball around confidently, playing those nice threaded weights of balls through to to players to run onto. There was one as well. He pinged the first time crossfield ball out to the left-hand side with accuracy and, and control and, there's a real transformation in Yates's game under Steve Cooper, which has been great to see. We, you know, we not we know he's not going to be a, a prime Iniesta or a player like that, but he doesn't need to be. Steve Cooper's identified his strengths, and in fact, he's developed other aspects of his game as well. And it's it's making him a more rounded player, and he's becoming more crucial to this team by the game. And it's it's great to see. It it's always nice, I think, for. For, for players to, to prove the fans wrong and really come back fighting. And I think it's credit to Ryan Yates, to his character, that he's kept going in the face of criticism. I think a lot of players might have gone into their shells with with some of the criticism that, that Yates has faced from sections of the fan base. But he's stuck at it. He's 
he's worked on his game with Steve Cooper and Cooper's identified those strengths and really brought them out in him. Mm. Baz, I just want to very quickly come to you because uh, you and I went to a lot of matches together in the early noughties. And I remember, well, you and I, I'm sure both remember Paul Hart's prickly post-match interviews, <laughs> whether it was a win, lose, loss or a draw. But I remember one thing really sticks in my mind is that he used to say the formation changed, but the tactics were the same. And I think with Cooper, tactics are very, very important. And after Swansea, he said, tactically, we got it bang on. And that even though we were under the cosh in the first half against Swansea and Swansea could and probably should have took the lead. Actually, tactically, they did exactly what the plan was. And so it's all about game plan. It's also in the case of um, players like Yates. Tactics are also about giving players permission to do stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it, I mean, the Swansea one's an interesting one um, as well, because obviously with the, the view that the Swansea fans have of Cooper is very, very different to the view that we have of Cooper. But there's a growing element, and, and we saw it against Arsenal as well, of in our game, it's a lot about stifling the opposition and about controlling the game and letting them have the ball, but not letting them do anything with it until we decide, right, and now's the point where we're going to let the shackles off and we're going to go forwards. And I can see why if you've got a team that does that, but then the letting the shackles off bit doesn't work for you because maybe you haven't got the right personnel, then, yeah, you're going to think Steve Cooper's a dour negative manager. But the fact that it is working for us and it's allowing the players like Yates to do the stuff that he's he's now allowed to do, um, and just another thing, just to remember that not only is Yates a homegrown player, but he's also still very young and he's hit a level of consistency you don't often see with, with young players, which is really impressive. But yes, the fact that we're allowed to do that and we can we can turn it around, our, our tactics are enough that we can stifle people, play that what on paper would be a really negative defensive game and then release the shackles and go for it and and win the match. I think that's... That's a testament to Cooper's coaching ability. Oh, Dad, in there as well. Um, Swindon versus Man City. Um, Swindon didn't adapt their game. They tried to they tried to do things like play the ball out from the back as if they were playing against another team in their division, and that was that was their downfall. Forest knew that they couldn't try and outplay Arsenal from a footballing point of view, so let them have it, but don't let them get into those dangerous areas. And there's only two times really in the match where Arsenal did that. There's that one where Saka really should have took it with his right foot. And there's the other one where Nketiah managed to head it towards the corner flag. Um, and with that one, we were lucky. We were just lucky that it was a striker who was out of form. Um, but that is, I think, an important part of a coach's tactical awareness. Now, I just want to move on to transfers because um, we alluded to it earlier. Tom, we saw against Arsenal and against Millwall the importance of the two new signings who've already played, which is adding a bit of beef to our, you know, we're not pushovers. We've got that strength and, and Keenan Davis playing against, against Premier League centre-backs and, and having, you know, having words with Rob Holding and, and then yesterday at Millwall, you know, taking them on. Um, and Steve Cook, he's somebody who doesn't get bullied out of things. So those are formidable signings, even if they add to the team rather than shining as individuals, yeah? Yeah, definitely. And I mean... With uh, if Graben's not playing because he's quite good at like bringing the ball, um, well, picking the ball up deep and keeping hold of it. But Keenan Davis is the same as well in terms of like he keeps holding the ball and it just like gives the back five or whatever a bit of a breather. But then with Steve Cook's um, experience, he's played at the top level and it's just it's just brilliant that we've got a player like him. And he like last week against Tarson, he played like he's been here for like ten years or so. He's is brilliant and he was um, decent yesterday. And the are two top signings in my eyes. I mean, Keenan Davis doesn't do a great deal off the ball, but when he does have the ball, he is a real asset. And he did um, try to know one a few times when he got into dangerous areas. So, uh, yeah, those two signings are win-win uh, for me. Uh, Stephen, Davis, we've liked what we've seen of him so far, but if Graben's out for any length of time, we've still potentially got a problem with, with finishing it. Or do you think that Davis addresses that in a way because he is more of an archetypal number nine and can maybe bring in the Zinc and Argos and Johnsons into play. Yeah, I, from what I've seen of Davis so far, he won't be the the out-and-out goal scorer that Graben is. Hopefully I'm proved wrong on that because that will mean 
we, we're managing to replace Graben's goals, but it is that link-up play and that ability to bring others into into goal-scoring positions. I would say, though, that Graben's actually very good at that as well, being able to control the ball, carry it up the field and, and hold off defenders. But it, it would be good to see Zink and Argyle and Johnson really stepping up with the goals as well and those goals coming from other areas of the team. It's great that Graben is scoring and, and putting the chances away regularly, but... If we if we can get the rest of the team firing as well, that would be, I think that would be that, that would add another level to to our attacking threat. But from what I've seen of Davis so far, he's he's good on the ball, he's mobile, and he, he's proving a real handful already. And even though he hasn't been on the score sheet yet, he he's played a big part in in gaining a foothold in games for us and and allowing Forest to to play their football how they want to on the front foot. So. Really excited to see what, what else is to come from Davis as, it, as he settles into the side more. And just staying with you, Stephen, um, you talked in your Millwall match report with Tom about the fact that Forrest tried something different. They played Davis up front and put um, Graben into a slightly, uh, into the sort of the false nine role that we play when we were doing the three at the back. Is that something that you think was particular for that match or do you think that's something that could be used as a tactic more frequently? I think it could be used more frequently. Um, it was used, Steve Cooper said it was used in the Millwall game deliberately to to give Forrest more of a presence and to try and play the game more in Millwall's half and, and put more pressure on them because at Millwall you are expecting to, to batten down the hatches a little bit and, and have to sit in your own half, which is how it played out in the first half for, for good chunks of it. But then once Forrest did get that foothold in the game, you saw... Davis come into it and really play a part in trying to 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 stretch the Millwall defence and give them a tough time, and then combine that with with Graben's skill on the ball. He he is a good footballer all round, and it just it did it gave us more of an attacking presence. It wasn't just about trying to pick the ball up and catch them on quick counters all the time. There was a bit more control and a um, and a bit more craft to it, I think, and. I mean, going off the, the Millwall performance, I think there's the potential they have a really good link-up between Davis and Graben. And it's it's good to have that option now. You, I don't think you could play like that with Taylor and Graben, for example. I don't think the two of them would work well in that kind of setup. Whereas Davis now gives us a, new, a different option and a new option. And it's nice to be able to mix it up for games like Millwall and there'll be similar games between now and the end of the season as well where we're going to need a player like Davis and that potential setup between him and Graben. Uh, Baz, there's some talk that with Forrest bidding for Jed Wallace, there's some talk that Lyle Taylor might be offered as as a make weight. Um, Taylor's not a popular guy amongst a lot of the Forrest supporters, but um, you keep saying, and you've said on several occasions in the past, if we get a kick to Graben's ankle, then we are missing goals. So does that mean that you would keep Taylor as another option as a six-yard box striker? Um, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, so, as as I've, I think I've said before as well, the, the thing with Taylor is you have to play exactly the way he wants the ball. And um, we don't necessarily do that all the time now. Um, it's it's a it's a cross to the the far post, and he he'll do do the job for you. But if it's not that, then he's probably not going to do the job for you. That's the the impression I get. Um, I do think, yeah, we we are. Davis is very very useful, and he will play. He'll make us play in a different way, and he gives us that ability to make the ball stick, which is helpful defensively as well as offensively. Um, but I think, yeah, we're we're still probably a little bit short up front. And I don't think Taylor is the answer. So that could work quite well. OK, thank you very much. We're going to come back to the transfer window in just a couple of minutes. But first, we'll go over to Jeremy with some reflections on the Arsenal match. The 1865 sketch by Jeremy Davis. When is an upset not an upset? Where it involves Forrest knocking Arsenal out of the FA Cup, it would seem. Certainly, you'd have thought that Forrest were strong favourites, had you been listening to Five Live's breathless pre-match coverage, where they were really giving it the big one about Forrest's rebirth under Steve Cooper, only mentioning in passing that they had, in fact, lost their previous two games. 
Mikel Arteta did his bit for the cause as well, apparently making sure that his Arsenal players immersed themselves in the proud history of Nottingham Forest in the days leading up to the game, so that by the time they lined up, the likes of Saka, Odegaard and, of course, Nuno Tavares all believed in miracles too. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm all for opposing teams giving Forrest the respect we deserve as the club behind the greatest miracle in the history of English football. Uh, Sorry, Leicester fans. But it does seem a bit like overkill, like Goliath turning up to fight David after spending the previous week watching videos of his greatest slingshots. But for all that this was the second time in five years that Forrest had knocked Arsenal out of the cup at this stage, this did feel different a sublime display of disciplined dominance rather than a ridiculous spectacle of chaos relying on a -a once-in-a-lifetime display by an American right back. It was the first time I've seen a Forest game live on terrestrial TV since Bayern Munich at home in 1996. Notwithstanding Sam Matterface's cliché-ridden commentary, for example, what is it about the city ground in the FA Cup that means Arsenal can't see the wood for the tricky trees? A metaphor so tortured... It might have had the bloke who put Guy Fawkes on the rack, holding his hands up and saying, Steady on, lads, that's a bit much. It turned out to be the best thing I've seen on ITV since the first season of Benidorm, perhaps even elevated slightly above it by not having Johnny Vegas in a leading role, although even he might have moved faster than some of the Arsenal forwards. Watching Forest versus Arsenal on ITV took me back to a remarkable afternoon's viewing in 1991 when reigning champions Arsenal played at the city ground live on the match and were dispatched 3-2 with goals from Wohn, Sheringham and Scott Gemmell and commentary by Alan Parry, whose commentary style was to tortured metaphors what Lyle Taylor's playing style is to scoring goals, i.e. there weren't many of them. Speaking of the early 90s, did anyone hear Matt Ford on the quickly Kevin Brian Clough special talking about Cluffy's career in advertising? He skipped over the famous shredded wheat ads in favour of an East Midlands electricity board spot featuring Clough playing Sabutio, another game in which the strikers probably moved around more than the Arsenal forward line. So, on to a meeting with Leicester in the fourth round. Now, if you're looking for omens, well, the last time I saw a Forest-Leicester match Featuring commentary by Alan Parry, the Reds won 4 0. Thank you very much, Jeremy. And let's go back to talking about transfers. So, we've talked about the two additions who've come in already and the potential impact that could have on the Forest team. Now, fullback is the other position that we talked about in part one of our podcast. And there have been some developments there. So, first of all, Stephen, we've signed the Canadian fullback, whose name I don't know how to pronounce. So I'm going to have a go. Richie Larea, is it? Um, and he's somebody who's come in, got a good pedigree. He can pr- primarily a right back or a right wing back, but can play on the left as well. And I made the point that the last time we signed a, uh, a Canadian fullback, it worked out all right, didn't it? He wasn't too bad, was he, Jim, in the end? Uh, I think he was a platy signing as well. So uh, he worked He worked out pretty well. And uh, if Richie Larea can follow in his footsteps, um, we've got a really good player on our hands. And from what, what I've seen of him, he he looks like he could be a really useful asset in this Steve Cooper system. He's quick, tidy on the ball. He likes to get forward, athletic as well, so he can cover ground. He seems to have a very decent shot on him as well, which which certainly helps and hopefully means he's got a good delivery when he is in those attacking areas. And the bonus is he can cover several positions. As you mentioned, he can play on the right or left, which is which is a bonus for us, especially as we have found ourselves this season needing to cover those positions quite a few times now. And I think he can also play in midfield as well. So you've got the option there of somebody who can slot into a number of different roles and and Thinking more long term as well, if come the end of the season, we're unable to keep hold of Jed Spence, that's in Larea, we've potentially got somebody who can f- fill that position on the on the right hand side of the uh, the back five or back three with wing backs, however you want to call it. So it's um, it's a posi- it's a transfer that fills positions that we need to fill right now, but also is one looking more for the long term. I think he's 26, 27, Larea. So a good couple of years that we can have with him at Forest and hopefully he'll have plenty to contribute. 
And uh, the thing that I like is that what I've discovered from his social media is that Richie's actually short for Richmond, which is a wonderful name. So, uh, so well, well done, Richie. <laughs> now, Tom, coming back to you, uh, Stephen mentioned it there, uh, Jed Spence. It seems as though, still not been officially confirmed by Forrest, I don't think, but it does seem as though Spence has basically been given the go-ahead to stay at Forrest for the rest of the season. Whether there's a new loan agreement in place, we're not quite sure, but it looks as though he's staying, and that's great news, isn't it? Um, yeah, and we're going to be very grateful for that, because um, with the form he's been on, it would have been so easy for Middlesbrough to say, well... Um, it could be playing for a potential playoff rival, wanting back, but fair play to Chris Wilder, who said in his um, press conference that if a player is, if he's agreed to be out on a season-long loan, then he will stay on a season-long loan. So um, we've got to be grateful for Chris Wilder and Middlesbrough for that. Um, and also um, consider ourselves very lucky to have a player of his calibre because the way he's played, and if the rumours are true that Premier League clubs are having a look at him, the only way we're going to get him if we somehow get promoted uh, this season uh, by the playoffs. So um, I think, yeah, the next five months, just enjoy Jeff Spence being in a forest shirt because I think the way he's playing, I think he's going to be a, in a Premier League side next year. And hopefully, yeah. but if not, so be it. But uh, with yeah. Richie Lurea signing, it's nice that Forest have actually... I, I've had a problem with Forest in the past of like, with, um, with players leaving, I don't mind that. It's how you replace them and I think Forrest are actually um, obviously covered themselves quite well if um, Richard Luray is going to turn out to be um, a pretty decent signing. So, uh, yeah, fair play to Forrest uh, for doing that. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned, that there's a possibility of, of the vultures circling. Um, apparently, the trouble with uh, Spence playing so well against Arsenal is apparently Arsenal are interested in him now. That's something I've read, whether that's just paper talk or not. Um, Baz, coming to you, um, just as a, a, a footnote to the transfers that have been done, the other one is uh, Jordi Tutu. Um, you know, he's made three or four appearances. He looked good in them, but he's made of biscuits, as you, uh, as you would say. Um, and... What's interesting is that Steve Cooper's just recently talked, just this week actually, about the fact that the transfer dealings he's looking at and the players he's looking, uh, he's got already, he loves people who can play in multiple positions. So with Larea, I'll say Tutu could do the same as well, obviously. You know, with, with Cook and Davis, you've got spine players, you know, a solid centre-half and a, and a good old number nine. But that versatility is, uh, again, it's part of the manager's tactics, isn't it? Yeah, it's that. That's uh, how he wants us to play, um, and it's it's allowing us to to part of that changing the formation, but to keep the keep the the same style of play going is is part of the same thing. Um, I think we still need something for left back or left wing back. Um, I personally, I mean, everyone's been raving about Jed Spence, quite rightly so, but I think um, not having Max Lowe available is also a big big loss for us. I think whereas Jed Spence covered all the ground and did. All that was was always available to do stuff. Max Lowe, when he put his head down and started running at people, it made goals happen. And um, so, and they, obviously, he's another lone player, so that's quite good. Um, we're very lucky in that Middlesbrough had that Jones lad at right back because I think that's probably why we got to keep Spence. Um, but yeah, so, so and, and I think the fact that we've got Colback playing at left at the moment, he's doing a very good job, but he's not an attacking player. But it also that then leaves us slightly weak in the midfield area as well. So it'll be nice to get something sorted for left back so that we can we can have Colback back in the centre. Mm, yeah. Um and you're absolutely right because uh, we like we like what we've seen of Ajeda, but we've seen that he's not necessarily ready to play it week in, week out at this level. Um the, the other thing is from what we're saying there, we've got to mention the C word. I think that lack of adaptability is possibly why Joao Carvalho won't have necessarily a future at this, or it'll be a surprise if he does. Um, Stephen, let's come to you again. In terms of the rest of the transfer window, I think we're probably more likely to see more players departing than coming in at this stage. Uh, Andy Reid said that there probably will be some academy players who will go out to get some game time, but only if the terms are right and those players are going to, you know, get to play in proper men's football. Um, are there any things that you anticipate? I mean, the obvious ones that we've talked about in the last few weeks are Carvalho and Zande Silva, um, 
let's be honest, we're going to do a job to get rid of Gaetan Bonks, who's probably here till the end of his contract, along with Carl Jenkinson. What do you anticipate? I think we'll see a, a number of the academy players moving on, as you've alluded to. So somebody like Tyrese Fauna, who's not really been able to make an impact either under Chris Hewton at the start of this season or get into the team under Steve Cooper following his spell at Plymouth last season. I wonder if he might be sent back out on loan to another League One club just to try and continue his development and and see what he can do. And Because even though we are a bit short in the midfield, I don't see a place for Fauna in the team right now. So I think he'll be somebody who, who moves on. I think the club will try and move on Bong if possible. I know there was a link this week to, I think it might have even been Toronto where we got Larea from. It was, there was a link to, to a team in Canada or so, whether that's... That would be a swap an, deal and a half, wouldn't it? Uh, we'll, we'll have done very well there if uh, if that's the case. Um, uh, the other big name that's been mentioned is Jed Wallace. Nothing's been confirmed, of course, but rumours are that a £2 million deal is in place and he, he's on standby for a medical. Millwall will lose him in the summer for nothing. His contract's up, so £2 million, it's a lot of money, but it, it probably would give us a real boost of creativity going into the final months of the season. And that would be a real statement of intent, I think, to, to all the other clubs in the top half if we can poach a really good performer in this league in the form of Jed Wallace. He's somebody who's had quite a bit of success against us as well in the past. And I was quite pleased to to see him not amongst, uh, not amongst the party for Millwall yesterday. So we don't know for certain if that one goes through, if, if it does brilliant. And if Taylor goes the other way, then that perhaps solves, solves the issue of moving Lyle Taylor on if, if he's not quite the right fit. I think I would be happy with a Wallace and Taylor swap and, and kind of running with that for the rest of the season with Graben and Davis. I think that would give us give us enough, I think, with the, the extra firepower that Wallace brings. Perhaps the left-back situation is that one that's, that would really be good to tie up. If there's a Premier League youngster who can, who can come in on loan for six months, perhaps, or we can pick somebody up on the cheap like Steve Cook, who's experienced but who can come in and fill that role in particularly if Max Lowe doesn't return anytime soon it would be nice to be able to to, to use Colback in his more favoured position in the middle and just have that balance of a proper left back out there who can who can cover the attacking side as well as the defensive side. Okay and um, just finally on this topic Tom uh, are there any particular moves that you anticipate or would like to see either in or out? Um, I think just getting rid of the, the players who just don't have a future, like the likes of um, Bob and Jenkinson, as soon as they're off the wage bill, um, happy days because they are uh, being paid quite a lot of money. For, not so much Bob because he actually does make, do, does make the squad, but Jenkinson, for example, has been the biggest waste of money in the last five or six years uh, in my eyes. He's just, if the rumours are right, and he's on north of 20 grand a week, he's... He's got some agent, that's all I'm saying. But um, but no, if we can get Jed Wallace in, because like Stephen's just said, he's a top performer in this league and um, he knows the league inside out. So if we get him and hopefully uh, you have one or two, then it's been a really successful window for us. And, and also it gives Steve Cooper the opportunity to work on these players, then hopefully add a couple more in the summer. And if we don't get into the playoffs or get promoted this season, we can have a really good fist um, next season. And, and just uh, on the topic of the players like your Silvers and our Carva- and, and Carvalho's, is that are those players that you'd like to see hang around for the rest of the season so that they, they, they are squad options if we have, let's say, a, a minor injury crisis or a bout of illness or something like that? Yeah, it's just like covering yourself, really, isn't it? I mean, uh, Carvalho is, is Marmite at the moment and Sander Silver, I mean, he got his start against... Um, Middlesbrough, um, etc. So, yeah, they're all right to have in, in the squad, but um, like I says, I can't see him being first team regulars anytime soon. Okay, let's move on. I just want to do a quick update from our friends at Fan Hub. So, uh, Forest uh, fans are 
in terms of the Forest fans leaderboard, we've got Joel Russell, who's uh, at the top of the leaderboard, followed by Drop the Red and Jack Smith, 1981. So well done to you two, uh, you three. I can't even count. Um, and I just want to remind you all that you can sign up to FanHub and we uh, regularly tweet out and put on Instagram golden ticket codes. The aim of FanHub is to put fans first. So what they are aiming to do is introduce rewards for people who are regularly going to matches and checking in and gaining points for doing so. And those rewards at the moment, they've got bits of merch, but the plan is to include match tickets and, and so on in, uh, as the membership of the app grows. Uh, Forest are currently 21st in the club's leaderboard, and that's third in terms of the championship because the only championship teams who are above us in the leaderboard are Coventry, who are in... 13th place and Bournemouth who are top of the leaderboard um, as well as flying high in the actual championship. Now one of the things that we talk about every so often is we have a WhatsApp group on this pod so uh, the four of us and also the Maradon of the Midlands and Jeremy Davis and Nick Miller we occasionally talk about things on that uh, on that particular group and last week, during FA Cup weekend, I just noticed, is that John Olafjolder's son playing for Leeds? And uh, Married on the Midlands said, yeah, it is. Maybe slipped the net. And we, we started talking about, oh, could we have a five-a-side team of kids of Forest players? So we started thinking about that. Um, Baz, you're, wanting to, you're desperate to say something. What, can, what do you want to say? Erling Haaland. Well, exactly. So at centre forward, <laughs> it's a no-brainer, isn't it? So we've got we've got Leo. Apparently, he, was, he, he lived in he lived in Leeds till he was four. That's what. Um, well, he would have done, wouldn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so we've got we've got Erling Haaland. We've got Leo Hjelda. Naturally, we've got Brennan Johnson, who's tearing things up at the City Ground. The obvious other one that I thought about was was Tyler Walker, and then. Uh, Topo, you came up with a good one. So uh, another ex-Forest players kid who's actually a very good player. That's right. Tyrese Campbell at Stoke City, son of Kevin Campbell, playing as a striker as well, like his dad, and and he's finding the back of the net. And uh, I, I, yeah, I think uh, if you team him up with one Sydney Van Hoydonk, then it's 1998 oh. all over again, isn't it? Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's come out of left field. So tell us about Sydney. Sydney, was that, I, I first heard about him last summer. He was linked with a move to Forest, and turns out he is a striker like his dad. And What, Mardi? No, he could, <laughs> the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but uh, he, uh, he is one Sydney Van Hoydonk, son of Pierre, and... What what a dream team they were for Forest, and mm. why can't we repeat that feat twenty years on? Well, now our five aside teams. So we've got basically one defender in Leo Hjelder, who's only played one game for Leeds. And then we've got quite a lot of forwards. So we've got Brennan Johnson, Tyler Walker, um, who's worth mentioning, uh, Sydney Van Hooydonk, Tyrese Campbell, and Erling Haaland. Um, we haven't got a goalkeeper. Um, but the Maradon the Midlands did chip in and say uh, Dave Besant's son is a goalie for Chum. So um, and and he's saying, well, with the team that we've got there, five players, couple of subs, we'd be um, we'd be walking the power league, wouldn't we? <laughs> Bass, what did you want to say? I was just saying, if you're going to go with um, Van Hooydonk and Campbell up front, um, I was just wondering, has um, Marlon Harewood got a son? Because <laughs> uh, you know, John Owen and Harewood be brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe Hook could be behind. <laughs> Yeah. So, so Tom, you, you, you're out of the four of us. You're the one who still plays football regularly or until, until very recently. Um, <laughs> would you be happy to be the manager of that five-a-side team? Um, well, it depends if... You might only have four because if Sidney Van Hoordonks acts like his dad, he might not turn up and just go <laughs> on strike. So, uh, so possibly not. That's why we've got the subs. <laughs> As long as, as long as you didn't sell Tyrese Campbell without telling anyone. Yeah. Another fit, um, player we haven't mentioned, um, Mr. Ian Wright, Sh- Sean Wright Phillips. Who's, whose grandson scored. Yeah, his grandson yeah. made his debut yeah, the other day, didn't he? Yeah, and I can't believe this. Is Ian Wright, I think he's, is he just, he's not even 60 yet. He's already a great granddad. He mentioned it on ITV last week. 
well, you know, something to, something to aim for, isn't it? Um, <laughs> let's let's move on and let's talk about the current crop of forest players. Now, one of the things that uh, came up recently in an article on the Athletic was thinking about types of captains, and obviously in our match report from the Millwall game, Tom, uh, you were waxing lyrical about Lewis Graben, who has scored two goals this week, had his 34th birthday, and obviously his captaincy has been something that's been a, a hot topic amongst Forest fans. Football fans in this country, we still want our captains to be blood and thunder types like Joe Worrell. So talking about Carlo Ancelotti and how he chooses his leaders and his captains... And it says Ancelotti divides dressing room leaders into two groups, personality leaders and technical leaders. The former lead through their strength of character, such as John Terry and Zlatan, and the latter through the way they play and train rather than their voice, such as maybe Cristiano Ronaldo. And occasionally you get someone who ticks both of those boxes. So we've got maybe Paolo Maldini, who Ancelotti cites there. Now, Tom, you were talking about Graben and I say he's having a purple patch at the moment and Graben is one of those players where we're consistently told by the journalists like Paul Taylor and, and Colin Frey that he has utmost respect in the dressing room so he's one of those uber professionals um so do you think he's deservedly the captain um, I mean, football's changed so many, t- um, so much over the years. I mean, we like the um, the blood and thunder of like you or Keynes and everything. But how football is now, I, I just don't think ranting and raving at individuals usually works. Um, so if there's a player who actually um, leads by example of how he looks after himself, how he trains, that might be the like the the new norm, let's say, for a captain and his qualities. So. If um, you've got journalists who probably speak to Lewis Grubber more than we hear from him, let's say, then he does all those things in terms of looking after himself, which at 34, you can see that he does look after himself. And, um, and he leads by example. And he, when you do hear him from rather rare times, he does give an interview. He does speak incredibly uh, well. So if he is leading by example in the uh, dressing room and Steve Cooper believes that he's got a lot of qualities and with leadership, etc., then he, he must be doing a good job somewhere. And, and obviously he can back that up at the moment of how he's playing um, football. What about that reputation he has for being Mardi? It's, sometimes we... Um, you know, to be honest with Liz Grobin, he just seems a bit of a, like a complex character. And you don't really... Apart from that Sunderland documentary, we don't... I can't really remember the last time we actually saw Lewis Graben have a sulking in a forest shirt. So if he's like matured as a player over the years and, and obviously um, making his football do the talk and then so be it. Yeah, I mean, I would say that one of the, I think a lot of Forest fans, their favourite picture of the last week was Graben absolutely beaming from ear to ear in his post-match interview, which isn't something... We, you know, people say oh, he doesn't smile enough. He, he's perfectly capable of smiling. Uh, it's just that you don't always notice it. Um, now, Baz, I'm going to come to you because um, Lewis Graben, he's one of those, uh, you know, uber professionals. Uh, it's through the way he plays. It's through the respect he has from from the dressing room. Um, Ancelotti describes that kind of player as, as a Ronaldo type. They both wear number seven. They're both old. Neither of them drink. They're, it's an obvious comparison, isn't it? Um, just, I just want, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just wanted to add um, on on them being Mardi as well. Is um, strikers are strikers? That's what they are. They're, they're always Mardi. They're always a bit selfish at sometimes where you think they should pass when they shouldn't do. They always elbow people out of the way, and they they deliver. If they deliver at the end of it, it doesn't really matter. Um, I would also add as well. One of the things I think, like Tom was saying, that the games changed. Um, I, I think I might have talked about this before. Um, one of the things apparently that was revolutionary about Guardiola is he got the players playing to playbooks. So they would say, right, when the ball's over here, when this player has the ball, the, this opposition player has a the ball, then these are the positions you take up. And if if this is happening, then these are the positions you take up. And it's all about the 
players almost like American football following a playbook in, in what's happening. And if you're doing that kind of thing, and you hear Steve Cook talk, uh, Steve Cooper talk about it as well, he'll say, "Yeah, we we saw some of the patterns that we've worked on in the training on the training pitch during the game." If you're doing that sort of thing, then you don't want a, a, a captain that's going to rant and rave at everyone because that's not their job. Their job is to follow the plan. And so you, you, your professional types are, are the natural choice for your captain there. He's leading by example, saying this is what you should be doing. This is what we've worked on. Follow the plan. And, and it works that way. Mm. And on that topic, um, the other thing, the article in The Athletic pointed out that Pep, Apparently, he he works with with the players so that they actually select who's going to be the captain. So Fernandinho is the the club captain by virtue of seniority, but he's not a ranty ravey type. And then we've seen several players wear the armband. We've seen Gundogan, um, Ruben Diaz, Kevin De Bruyne, Raheem Sterling. But it's not a surprise. To, it wouldn't be a surprise to see any particular City player wearing the armband. And do you think that's down to the reason that you just mentioned, which is they're all on the same page? Yeah, and and they know what their jobs are, and and part of the captain's job is just to make sure everyone else does their job. Yeah. Stephen, um, Joe Worrell is the obvious example of the player who is um, a forceful personality. We know that he has a grumble at his uh, fellow professionals in the dressing room. He's come out and done it publicly a few times as well. So the Ancelotti example would be a John Terry or a Zlatan, um, both of whom have got form for doing both things, I think, particularly particularly Zlatan in terms of publicly slating his teammates, although Ronaldo did that last week. Um, but if we're going to think about the leaders who tick both of those boxes, do you think we've signed one in Steve Cook? Absolutely. Uh, he's somebody who has been a very successful captain at Bournemouth, leading them into the Premier League and having a number of years as a Premier League footballer and the Premier League captain. He's perhaps not the the sort of Tony Adams style of bombastic all-out leader, but he, he, he has some of those qualities, but he's also got a good technical ability as well. He he seems to to bring together those two qualities really well and and as a as a figure coming in after ten years at Bournemouth, with the the success he's had, he's going to command that respect. The players will look at Steve Cook and think this guy's been there and done it. He's been where we want to go. Let's listen to what he has to say because he he knows what he's talking about and he knows what it takes. First of all, to get out of this division and also to stay in the division above. I'm just going to give the final word on this topic to the Maradon Midlands, who on WhatsApp said, it's quite bold of us to mention Graben, Worrell and Cook in the same breath as uh, John Terry's Latan, Ronaldo and Paolo Maldini. So make of that what you will. Anyway, now it's time for Guess That Red. 1865, Guess That Red. OK, so for regular listeners, you'll know what's coming. We're going to have some clues and... Tom is going to be our question master this month and it's going to be down to myself and Baz and Stephen to try and guess which Forest player of yesteryear or maybe more recently that Tom is referring to. So over to you, Tom Newton. Okay, so the first question is, earlier in my career I had two loan spells. One was at Oldham and one was at Motherwell. No, no, not right. okay. okay. Second question. I was born in Croydon. I've not got enough to go on yet, Tom. <laughs> Stephen, Lewis Graben. Yes, it's Lewis Graben. Man of the oh. moment. <laughs> no way. There you go. Yeah. I, so, you see, I was thinking, I can't remember any Forest players who've been on loan to Alderman Mother. <laughs> So, yeah, I thought I'd uh, keep up with the uh, topic and, um, yeah, the man at the moment. The other um, question, well, the third question is, is I've scored so far 167 goals in my career. Um, then the other question was, other spells I've had in my career was played at Millwall, Brentford, Rotherham, Bournemouth and Norwich. And then um, the last question was, I joined Forest in the summer of 2018 for six million quid. And that would have probably clinched it. Yeah. And uh, just a footnote, uh, I can't remember if you mentioned it in your match report, but uh, 
Millwall fans didn't seem to be big fans of grabbing yesterday, did they? So it's the ultimate retort, isn't it, to to score a an injury time winner against one of your old clubs who've been whose fans have been booing you, isn't it, Stephen? Yeah, the perfect way to to silence the opposition fans, and I think Graben certainly enjoyed giving a bit back to the Millwall supporters. And who better to score that goal? There was a tweet as well, somebody who said, "I'm an Arsenal fan, but I have a soft spot for Millwall, and I absolutely hate Lewis Graben after this week." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that seems like a good point to finish this month's podcast. So uh, I want to say thank you very much to Baz, to Tom, to Stephen, to Jeremy Davis. And I want to also say uh, thank you to you, listener, for joining us uh, on the 1865 podcast this month. There's a certain match happening next Saturday which you might be familiar with. So obviously we'll have all the reaction from that and we'll be continuing with our match reports over the next few months and weeks. And also, depending on what happens in the transfer window, we will come back to you with any more reaction as we get it. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Now, before I go any further, Tom, have you got a guess that read for us? Yes. Okay, good. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.